Hello everyone, welcome to Figment of My Reality, where we talk about the true stuff that makes this big old world seem made up. I'm the first co-host, Jeremy Bales. And I'm your other co-host, Jason Wright. Jeremy, you ever listen to uh, songs that are like real catchy and you've liked forever, and you don't really pay attention to the words, and you finally listen to them and you're like, oh my goodness, I've been listening to a bad person. To trash song music. <laughs> for <laughs> five years, ten years. And I didn't realize how bad the song actually was until I listened to the lyrics. Let me introduce you to a song that everybody already knows. Stacy's mom. Stacy's mom has got it going on in Fountains of Wayne. Yeah. Got it. So I always thought of this as just a catchy song until I started actually thinking about the lyrics. <laughs> and then you paid attention. <laughs> this is about a small boy who's singing to a small girl about coming over to her house to hang out by the pool. Yeah. And then starts singing in her face about how hot her mother is. Yep, it's a, it's a bad person doing bad things. <laughs> now, you said that they were both small. Where are you getting that from? I mean, maybe not. Maybe they're in their mid-20s. <laughs> maybe, maybe they're in their late 40s. <laughs> oh, gosh. At that point, maybe good for Stacy's mom. I don't know. <laughs> but, yeah, it sounds like Stacy had a, a, a beaten neck father who wasn't wasn't around uh, dude and just dude, rubbed like, in her I can face be, i can be your dad now <laughs> i'm your dad <laughs> oh man i just thought i'd bring that up that i real finally realized how bad of a person i was for jamming out to that song for so long the trouble with those types of music uh, types of songs though is that they're just so darn catchy like i i challenge anyone to turn on stacy's mom after the podcast and then try to not sing along or at least groove to it it's it's not it's not doable you can't do it yeah it's like eating a tub of ben and jerry's it's really good at the time (laughs) oh my right 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 after you're like what did i do jason right you having uh having trouble with the quarantine diet i see always it's just it's not a quarantine diet it's just like everyday diet i have trouble with. (laughs) you were like this before (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah well my story isn't about Stacy's mom or catchy songs. Maybe it should be. <laughs> but it is about a guy trying to be good and stumbled along along his path. Who hasn't? Let's talk about surgery. We haven't gone into the medical field very much. I'm sure there's a bunch of crazy stories out there about it. Yeah. But surgery in particular, back in the day before anesthetic, Ugh. They had to try to do their surgeries really fast, right? Because the faster you did them, the less blood loss there was. Like a chess match. They just, like, time every move. (laughs) (laughs) That's what it seems like. Scalpel. Time. (laughs) If you look into it, that's actually what it's like. It reduces blood loss, and it also reduces the amount of time your patient is in pain, so that reduces the chance of any shock or anything happening. I feel like it also has to increase mistakes if you're rushing yourself. Exactly. There's and always it, it, it oh gosh, <laughs> it it does. So there, you're sacrificing accuracy for speed, right? And you, you basically ought to weigh the pros and cons when you don't have anesthetic and in, in a lot of modern medicines that helped you. I know it's a phrase when using like firearms, but slow is smooth, smooth is fast could apply very very clearly here. I feel like if you had to guess how fast surgeons back in the day, let's say in uh, around 1794. Very specific ballpark. Seventeen ninety-four. Maybe, maybe, maybe eighteen thirty, somewhere around that time. 
Okay. How fast do you think they were shooting to get surgeries done? And the amp- say an amputation. They're trying to cut a leg off. How fast? How fast are they shooting? How fast that? can one man swing an axe? <laughs> I don't know if you know. Please know. <laughs> you swing an axe, and then you get a torch to uh, cauterize. Too easy. 15 and a half seconds. What if I told you five minutes? I'd say that person did not have a healthy recovery. So that's the time that they were usually shooting for. So let me introduce you to the man that had the fastest saw in the West, Robert Liston. Dr. Robert Liston. That's not a title I would ever want to have my search. Well... <laughs> <laughs> uh- <laughs> You might not live, but it'll get done fast. I can slice you up in no time at all. (laughs) What about the sutures? No, I'm not as fast with those. (laughs) So, Dr. Liston was out of Scotland. He studied in Edinburgh, and he was known as the fastest knife on the West End. I don't like it, but go ahead. (laughs) His expertise was quick amputations, where most surgeons lost at the time, one in four patients due to the speed of their surgery. Liston only lost one in ten. Not a, still not a great percentage, but notably yeah, better. Yeah, but but yes, much better. People claim that he was known to cut off people's limbs in two and a half minutes, but one report says he was able to finish one in twenty-eight seconds. I was not far off. I want it it on the record. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and I don't know how else you would do it that fast besides with an axe. No, I feel like that. I mean, that's that's a situation where something bad is happening very soon. And he wasn't a surgeon at that point. And then he amputated an arm. He's like, you know what? I think I have a future in this. But not only did he have a a nickname, he also had a catchphrase. I'm sure he was, they weren't using latex gloves at the time, so after he smacked his hands around on his pants to clean them off, he would hold his instruments up in the air and he'd go, Time me, gentlemen. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> one man, one clock, who will come out the victim. <laughs> Fun fact, it's never the patient. <laughs> if you haven't guessed already, there were a few slip-ups through his time. No, I bet. So, one amputation, he was amputating somebody's leg they held him down on the table and he did his quick amputation and off came the man's leg and Mm -hmm. his testicles (sighs) (laughs) who could know right (laughs) who could have guessed i don't know how you get caught up in cutting somebody's leg off so much that you just take everything that's there (laughs) (laughs) yeah it was actually uh was supposed to be a below the knee amputation. He, he aimed a little high, got both legs. And they said, "Time me, gentlemen." Fastest spot ever. Another big mistake he had that wasn't associated to the speed of his surgeries was he mistook a lump on a young man's neck for an aneurysm, and he cut it off, and he cut his carotid artery and killed the kid. Killed the kid? Yep. He took a scalpel, cut the kid's neck, and killed him. Again, how could you know that cutting a man's throat would be lethal? <laughs> what the frick, dude? Yeah, so a slip-up on the amputation, and a really, really, I hope it was a mistake and he didn't just kill the kid. Could you imagine, like, I don't, I obviously have no idea or frame of reference for what, like, healthcare was at this point. Like, if you needed surgery, how much it would cost? Could you imagine going in there trying to get, like, a, a leg amputated? Like, obviously, there must be some necessity behind it because you're going to a surgeon for an amputation. 
And then you're like, oh, uh, everything. My downstairs is gone. <laughs> there is no downstairs. <laughs> do you pay a man for that or do you just <laughs> try not to kill him? Is his payment his life? <laughs> I feel like it, it, if I knew this guy, I would do like a kind of half now, half later kind of thing. Like, here's half. If it, if it goes okay, you cut off only the part I want cut off, I'll give you the other half. Yeah, and the surgeon does the same thing. Yeah, I'll cut half now, I'll cut half later. <laughs> <laughs> we'll call it square. Man, so his success rate was 1 in 10 even with these intense... Bu- no, his success rate was not 1 in 10. He lost patients due to the speed of his operation 1 in 10. That doesn't account for infections and, and bad surgeries that led to people ah, dying. So he probably had a much worse percentage, but the speed wasn't always the issue. Sometimes he just slit men's throats. <laughs> yeah. No, that's a good, that's a good surgeon. <laughs> I, <laughs> I didn't see what his success rate was overall, but they just point out that in this time frame, surgeons lost patients 25% of the time because they were too slow. And he lost people 10% of the time. He very rarely he lost people because he was too slow. He yeah. very frequently lost people because he was too fast. <laughs> because he cut them off at the hips instead of at the ankle. There's a clear give and take. He saved people because he was fast, but he also killed people too because of that same reason. <laughs> Let's dig into his biggest blunder. There's a bigger blunder than just ending a man's life. So, if somebody is going to have a surgery and they die, that's okay. a 100% mortality rate. Right. Because you had one person, you expected one person to die. Right, one on one, tracking. One on one. What if I told you he had a surgery that had a 300% mortality rate? Now. <laughs> so, 300% typically described is like effort, right? I need 300% effort. <laughs> That usually means, like, you're still just giving all you have. Yeah. 300% in this context, to me, seems like one person goes in, three people don't come out. And that is that, a big problem to me. That is exactly what happened. <laughs> Tell me this was his last operation. Tell me he was one of the three. He needs to be one of the three. <laughs> so so this is what happened. The guy goes in to get his, his leg amputated. How does a leg kill three people? <laughs> At this time, it wasn't unusual to have a big audience watching you do your surgery. And when I say a big audience watching you, I mean really up in there watching you. Like, real up in there. Like, close enough that a scalpel could slip from my hand and slit your throat, too. Because I thought I saw an aneurysm. (laughs) So what ends up happening is he goes in to do this speedy surgery, and he has his knife. He swings it down. Off comes the leg. Off comes his assistant's fingers also. He swings around and the knife glances off the shirt of somebody watching. The person that got his leg cut off ends up dying from infection. Good. The assistant ends up dying from infection. Two for two. (laughs) The person in the audience that the knife swept by thinks he's getting cut, has a panic attack, has a heart attack, and dies. Three for three. (laughs) Three for three. The only recorded surgery to ever have one person go in and three people die. All right. Um, challenging stuff. Tough, tough material. <laughs> yeah. So for the the dude's sl- a knife, you said, right? So it's yeah. got to be a big knife, right? It has I assume to be. so. I saw different things. I saw a saw. I saw a knife. Because you can't just go through a man's leg with a scalpel. No. <laughs> That's no. not a one fell swoop <laughs> so. type of instrument. <laughs> 
unless you can swing it real, real, real fast, and it's made of real strong metal. And it's like a foot long. Like there's there's a, <laughs> there's a missing component here. A scalpel blade is probably a couple inches max. Anyway, we'll call it a machete. Yeah. Man amputates leg with machete. Infection, infection, heart attack, dead. If yes. I was living in this time period with any type of knowledge whatsoever, the first thing I would market myself as is, hey, I can disinfect your ish. <laughs> I, I don't have a surgery percentage, but I have a saved from surgery percentage, and it's pretty good. <laughs> also, no one's allowed in, so it's just me and whoever needs to get disinfected. So this is what he was most well-known for forever. I mean, infamy. For sure. The high slash low point of his career was his 300% mortality rate. In what sense of the word, Jason, could that be seen as a high point in your career? I don't know. Do you think he went back to the pub and was like, hey guys, record time today. Oh, great. Dude, dude's all right? Negative. <laughs> Got two more. <laughs> what do you mean? Well, he wasn't all bad. So he was the first person operator to use anesthesia and his surgery is actually successful oh that's kind of interesting i wouldn't say it makes up for it by any stretch but no no good stuff but as far as i know change in the medical field especially around this time was not easy so that was a step in the right direction and he was so respected by his community and fellow surgeons that they erected a statue no way honor no way they called him the butcher of the East End, right? <laughs> no, they didn't call him the butcher of the East End. Oh, that's, that's good, though. I like that. Okay, good. And they created an award for him at Edinburgh College um, for distinguished students. Yeah, he distinguishes them. He leaves, sla- he leaves scars. He leaves them dismembered. <laughs> Very distinguished indeed. That was uh, Mr. Time Me, the fastest knife in the West End. The Butcher of the East. <laughs> the Butcher, the of, the butcher West. of the East. Well, good for him for making records. Bad for him for 300%. <laughs> What's up, guys? Uh, just popping in to read a couple more of our reviews that we've received. Uh, this first one comes from your favorite Evanilla Gorilla. Interesting stories every week with some witty commentary from these hosts. Keep up the good work, boyos. Appreciate that, Evanilla Gorilla. Second one coming from Mile Kills. Really good podcast length and fun to listen to. The guys always have very original content, and it's very interesting to hear their takes. Hope they continue to keep it rolling. Mile Kills, we absolutely have that same intention. Thanks for the reviews, guys, and uh, let us know if you have any other thoughts. We Are The Watchers podcast is all about watching stuff. We love the fact that there's so many TV shows and movies out there, but understand there's only so many hours in the day for people to check them all out. That's why me, Leah and Tom have volunteered as tributes to go to great lengths to find the cream of the crop, top-notch watching suggestions for you. We Are The Watchers, available where you get your podcasts from. Alrighty, from that freakish story to my own, uh, I'm going to talk about somebody who has, uh, uncommonly with our stories, had a a loving family when he was growing up and was born into a pretty wealthy family, kind of a curveball for our stories. 
There is one twist on this story, though. The man was born without limbs, and by that I mean sort of two-thirds of his limbs, arms and legs, were kind of nubs. His name is Arthur McMurrah Cavanaugh, and he was born in March of 1831. And this man has the title of the Limbless Adventurer. Oh, another nickname. I like it. This one's a little bit more upbeat. Yeah, not the uh, not the butcher. <laughs> not the butcher. <laughs> So like I said, this guy, Arthur, was born to one of the wealthier families in Ireland at the time. His father and mother were a landlord family, so they had several tenants under their jurisdiction, basically. And although he had this limitation of being born without the the fully developed limbs, uh, his mother, from a very young age, said that he was going to live as normal of a life as he could, and in fact, better, and in fact, he was also going to better other people's lives. Ambitious. Oh, yeah. And I would say especially for this time period when a lot of times any type of deformity or, you know, something not fully developed or or any type of birth defect could be seen as an opportunity for people to not even a little bit be given a shot at a quote unquote normal life. Progressive. Oh, yeah. More progressive than people today, I would say, in in some cases. Unfortunately, I think you are spot on with that analysis, J-Dub. Um, So his mother and actually a nurse that he hired specifically, or that she hired rather, specifically for Arthur, um, were very diligent and intentional with how they sort of helped him to develop. So from a very young age, they would often put toys and uh, things that Arthur was interested in just a little bit out of his reach. So with his nubs, he would bounce, he would crawl on them, he would do what it took to get to the things of interest. And that slowly developed his ability to start to move, right? Obviously, Mm -hmm. it was a little bit more delayed than other people of that age, but he kept after it and through various methods of training was able to, you know, hop up and down stairs, get up to couches, that type of thing. Dude, he was probably yoked. He probably had the biggest abs. He probably had the most giant shoulders too. (laughs) Yeah, dude. The term boulder shoulders gets thrown around a lot. I feel like this dude legit (laughs) had massive like bowling balls for his shoulders. For real. No neck. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, so another thing to help his dexterity with his his upper nubs were his, his nurse and his mother would give him smaller and smaller toys so obviously it'd be easier to hold two uh, like a bigger thing between your your two upper limbs and as it progressively gets smaller you have to be more dexterous to make sure you're handling it well as arthur grew up he had more and more dexterity in these limbs and it was actually he was described as having his limbs be as dexterous as fingers which i find to be absolutely mind-boggling yeah that's crazy yeah it's insane but even further he became proficient with horseback riding. He became proficient in shooting the pistol. And it was even said that he could handle the rapier, like a hand, like a handheld sword, very, That's very insane. well. Yeah, it's, it, it, gets, it gets crazier. <laughs> so for whatever reason, he became so good at horseback riding, he just had these great relationships with a bunch of horses he had. And at age four, a doctor named Francis Boxwell came into Arthur's life. And he developed unique reins and a unique saddle that would make riding horses even easier for him. Because this doctor had a belief that if Arthur had the mental fortitude, he could essentially be self-sufficient. And allowing him to be this mobile person on a horseback allowed that to go even further lengths, right? This is all just so crazy. Yeah, it's it's really cool. 
what kind of confidence would you have to have in your child if they had no arms or legs to put them on a horse? Yeah, I think it's it's almost like a reckless abandon of, you know, if if he's going to have any chance at leading this, again, quote-unquote, normal lifestyle, he has to do the things that everyone else is doing. Just think how dangerous that is. If he falls off... I'm sure he started with a pony. <laughs> I don't think he went still, on an 18 hands horse. <laughs> sit on the the arm of your couch and fall off onto your head and see how it feels. Don't <laughs> you got to hold your arms behind your back. Well, technically, he had a little bit of a nub. <laughs> That's just very risky. Very risky. I completely agree. But I think it's also extraordinarily inspiring that these people in his life were so full of belief in the fact that he could just do everything and operate so well that he, he just got after the stuff at such an early age. He was also, I forgot to mention this, a an accomplished yachtsman. So he was handling boats and, and vessels on the water as well, which is crazy. It's more efficient than 90% of the population. That's more than what I could do. <laughs> <laughs> For sure. But again, as he sort of grew, we'll say pre-age 22, because 22 is a time period I'll talk about shortly. He was actually became a world traveler. He traveled the Mediterranean. He traveled to Egypt, India, Persia, and Russia. And he just was out there doing the explorer thing, you know, taking insights from different countries and learning. And, and he'll later on, he'll apply those things that he learned in these other areas to actually help the tenants of, of, of his family. It's crazy. So I said age 22, right? So there was the Great Famine in Ireland happened right around that time. And unfortunately for Arthur, that's also when his father and two older brothers had passed. Arthur was the child of the family or the youngest of the family. So he and had to inherit the landlord responsibility that his father and two older brothers would have inherited, but it came to him. Now, the big problem with the famine is that obviously people weren't getting food and obviously people had uh, a lot of difficulty getting jobs. So during his travels, specifically to India, Arthur learned about the art of draftsmanship. That is basically designing houses and building the, the idea of uh, essentially blueprints, right? So Arthur presented this stuff to other wealthy folks who did not have these issues with money, finances, food, that type of thing, and convinced them to purchase this blueprint in the hopes that they would be able to create these houses for themselves and make themselves even better right a yachtman a horseback rider a world traveler and an architect is there nothing this guy cannot do <laughs> yeah, for real but what he his real ploy was not to necessarily sell things to make his own household more successful he used the purchasing funds that these people would buy his his blueprints for to start a sawmill Start a place where he could have bricks manufactured, slate manufactured, mortar manufactured, which in turn created like a bunch of jobs for his tenants who were at that point could have been evicted if his family decided to believe in that idea of evicting the people who couldn't um, help themselves basically because of the circumstance. So mm -hmm. in a sense, he was able to get them all jobs. Getting them jobs mean they were able to get enough funds to feed their people, and they always refused, this family did, the Kavanaugh family, to evict anybody who couldn't pay their dues. They cared enough about their tenants that they just looked after them. That's sort of the big defining moment for Arthur. But even beyond that, when things got settled and, and the famine ultimately came to an end, he pursued a life of politics. He was involved in facilitating railways through Ireland. 
He had a huge amount of different and various aspirations and endeavors that all came to success throughout his lifetime. Although he wasn't necessarily born fully developed or without other types of difficulty, he accomplished a lot of things that a lot of other folks just wouldn't or have not done. And it was, I think, due mostly, if not entirely, due to the fact because he was treated and trained from a very young age to be, you know, you're going to live your life and you're going to improve the lives of others around you too. He, uh, unfortunately, he did die on Christmas. <laughs> so, but he lived a full life. He lived uh, 58 at that time period. It was pretty good. But I just thought that was a huge inspirational story. The man refused to, to take no for an answer. He learned a bunch. He helped people out. He became proficient in more things than I have at this point in my life. Yeah, dude, that is crazy. Very upper story. The whole family going out of their way to better his life and enrich their lives with him. In fairness, the uh, the father was less convinced of this, but it was... Um... Well, he can shove it. Yeah, exactly right. <laughs> <laughs> so to, to that point, I'll say that while a lot of folks at that point would be completely dismissive, unfortunately, his father was more of the apathetic line when he didn't care one way or the other. But his mother, this nurse and this doctor, all took a very proactive approach to this, this young man's life. I was actually able to facilitate huge amounts of good in the world because they believed that everybody can and has the ability to live a fantastic life and improve the lives of others around them, which I thought was just a really, really cool story, really inspiring. And like, honestly, if there's anything to take away from this, it's like, if you think that you have a limitation, if you train yourself up, you know, do the skills that you think you can do, slowly start to progress in any way that you can, like, what the heck? You can do whatever you want, right? Take me to my reality where you come from motivation or you come for life lessons or you come to better yourself every or you come week. for Stacy's mom <laughs> oh man no that's yeah. an awesome story and it just feels weird to me that you did a story about somebody who could have e- used a achieved, <laughs> exceeded expectations overcoming the difficulty of not having limbs and i did a story about somebody who, who took limbs off? Who cut everybody's <laughs> limbs off? As we've said before, we do not uh, we do not pregame our, our stories. We don't give each other any types of ideas of what we're working with till the time we record. And this has happened more than once now. The stories have lined up in particular ways. Pretty neat. That's it for this week's episode. If you enjoyed the show, please leave a review. Uh, tell a friend. Helps us out a bunch. We're seeing some growth, and we love it. We love that you guys are coming back for more and more stories. If you're interested in contacting us with one of your own stories or you want to hear us dig into a story that you're familiar with that we haven't talked about yet, you can reach us on any of our social medias at Fig of My Reality for Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And our email is figmentofmyreality at gmail.com. Yeah, and if you guys don't follow us on any social medias, at least go there. Check out the drawing we put up last week. It'll probably be easiest to find on Instagram. I think it's a really funny picture. Um, <laughs> I enjoyed it. <laughs> check it Check it out. There's a bear doing some grilling, smoking a blunt. Really family-friendly stuff. <laughs> yeah. Looked... That's actually Smokey the Bear's younger brother. <laughs> Stony the Bear. <laughs> But go check that out. And if you didn't listen to the episode last week, go back and listen to figure out why we have that draw laid up. (laughs) 
Alrighty, the piece of reality we're going to leave you with this week is in 1999, a group of hackers revealed that Hotmail email could be, any Hotmail email could be hacked with the password eh, which is E-H for any user. <laughs> that was quickly fixed. I'm Jeremy Bales. And I'm Jason Wright. Talk to you next week.